Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Wednesday at 9 p.m. RPM's about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, New York City. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live from the new WBAI Studios, a socialist radio show and podcast from members of New York City Democratic Socialist of America. The Democratic Socialist of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide, and New York City DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five I'm Lee Zishi, and I use she, her pronouns. We're coming to the end of Pride Month amidst an environment of escalating attacks from the right on queer and trans people. Tonight, we speak to two grassroots organizers working on self-defense programs for queer, trans, and people of color in New York City in the Bay Area. We hear from Kenji of Soar Over Hate and DJ Gorilla Pump of We Are The Ones we are, We've are we Been Waiting For on how they are protecting their communities by or, organizing educational programs, creating art, healing practices, distributing tools and resources, and uniting community care with self-defense. We're also joined live tonight by Aaron Fernando, a member of the Queen's DSA Electoral Organizing Committee, to discuss yesterday's primary election results. Because of the redistricting debacle, New York is holding two primaries this summer, with voters weighing in on governor, lieutenant governor, and assembly races yesterday. DSA for the Many endorsed four socialist assembly members for re-election and five new candidates for the assembly. All the incumbent DSA members won their primaries, some by a very large margin, but of the five new candidates, only Sarah Hanastrusta, running in the Hudson Valley, won her race outright, toppling 13-year incumbent Kevin Cahill, who has held the seat since 1999. Sammy Novier-Oliviaris' race um, against Eric Delon in Bushwick and Cypress Hills is still too close to call, with Sammy trailing by about 200 votes. We're looking forward to hearing Aaron's take on last night's result. But first, we have RPM's Amy Wilson in conversation with Kenji and DJ Gorilla Pump on radical queer self-defense. Hi, Amy. Um, Thank you for having me. Super happy to chat with you today. Um, My name is Kenji Jones. I'm Japanese-American. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. I moved to New York City um, about seven years ago now. I 
I work full-time at a nonprofit health center in Chinatown, Manhattan, where I'm an outreach manager. Our um, health center is called Apicha, and we specialize in free and low-cost care for queer and trans people of color. Um, and then on the side, I am the co-president of a grassroots um, nonprofit organization called Soar Over Hate. And yeah, that's me. Happy to be here. Hi, nice to meet both of you. Um, my name is DJ Guerrilla Pump. I'm a queer first generation Afro-Filipino DJ. Um, I, I'm an award winning community organizer and internationally published visual artist. I'm currently based in the Bay Area, California. Um, I'm a founding member of inter the entertainment company, uh, Open to All, which focuses on ballroom events. I'm also the Bay Area father of the iconic all-trans DJ collective, Neural Disorder. And I'm the lead organizer of a collective known as We Are The Ones We've Been Waiting For. Um, we're best known for our fundraiser dance parties and underground mutual aid initiatives, most notably Arm The Girls, which um, arms black and brown trans femmes with self-defense tools, self-defense classes, and emergency mutual aid funding in the Telfar bag. Thank you both so much for visiting us on Revolutions Per Minute. I'm here at the very tail end of Pride Month to discuss uh, your programs and what you're doing with uh, the queer and trans community in your various locations. So let's dig a little bit more into the spe specifics of what each of you do. You could tell me um, what your program is and who it serves primarily. Yeah, so the collective that I'm part of is called We're the Ones We've Been Waiting For. And we were founded essentially to do mutual aid work that primarily works to serve communities targeted by social, social, cultural marginalization and state-sanctioned violence. Um, and for, for me um, and my community, the most impacted folks on the margins at the intersections are queer and trans, black and brown folks. Um, and it was during the pandemic and the height of Black Lives Matter when um, we launched an initiative called Arm the Girls. Um, we were a part of a lot of um, artist activations and protests here in Oakland. There was a lot of riots happening, and our community was really out there. And there was one moment when my friend Christian, who's a trans feminine person, they were at a rally and they were talking to this just sea of men, asking, where are the women? Where are the trans people? Where are the queer people? Where's the representation? Where's the intersection? Um and she was basically saying, you know, in order for this movement to really work, we need to be intersectional and we need to be intentional about what we're doing. Because otherwise, what you're doing is just fighting for a seat at the table versus like actually having us all at the table or saying, F the table, let's make a new one or have our own table. Um, and the response that she got was, it was really negative. She was heckled. She was surrounded by all these men. She was spat on and it just became... It was really scary. It's a really scary moment. And it's it's recorded on um, Facebook. I have it on Facebook. But anyway, it was this specific instance um, happening during the height of Black Lives Matter. And just the narrative around trans death during the time was just like constant. Um, and someone murdered, um, someone locked up. Um, and I was like, how can we change this narrative of queer and trans how can we change the mainstream narrative of queer and trans people being besides death, being besides murder and besides oppression? And so the original idea for Arm the Girls was for just for it to just be a photo shoot with a trans feminine person with a gun. 
and not to be pro-gun and not to encourage people to get guns, but just to reimagine what it would look like or what the reaction would be for people to see trans women fighting back. Um, and another, on the other side of that too, is when you look in the media, even in the movies like gang culture and police, the military, it's so romanticized and it's so normalized even. Um, if you go on Instagram and look up the military, they're literally, there's pictures of them literally bombing people and it's just there on Instagram. It's so normalized in our culture. But seeing queer and trans people defend themselves or fight back is not something that's normalized. Um, so that's kind of what we wanted to do with this project. And the project grew from just being a photo campaign into self-defense classes, into uh, creating self-defense kits, um, into raising lots of money for folks in urgent need. To me, I feel like it's only quote-unquote su successful because the need is there. It's like the, we're doing this work not because it's fun. We're doing it because we have to do it. Um, and it's successful because the need is just so great. And during the pandemic, you know, things were closed down. A lot of art galleries were shut down. A lot of parties were shut down. But because the, the need of our community was just so dire, we were throwing hella parties, raising hella money, all outdoors, of course, to protect uh, and serve our community in the best way that we know how, which is through art and through creative resistance. I think there's such a rich history of queer and trans organizers really doing the work, like really putting in the time and lifting up our communities. Um, so thank you for sharing all of that and thank you for your work. Um, so for me at Sorver Hate, um, we, we also do self-defense programming. We have, we started out actually um, after the Atlanta spa shootings in a couple really scary attacks on um, Asian folks here in New York City. One that really sticks out in my mind was um, in my neighborhood of Brooklyn, a elderly Asian woman was actually set on fire um, by a group of teenagers. And um, yeah, talking about it makes me feel really emotional. Um, and that really wasn't the only attack that still sticks out in my mind. Um, but um, me and my friends really felt like we needed to do something to stand up and like protect our community. So we started a mutual aid fundraiser where we, um, we were raising money to pass out safety def defense devices like pepper spray, personal alarms, coubatons. Um, and within the first week, we raised like around $30,000 to start us out, which was... Um, yeah, I started on my Instagram and really did not expect it to to snowball into what it became. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it grew really fast. And I think it speaks to sort of the the need that's there that Gorilla mentioned. And also just our community really wanting to be able to do something to help each other. Um, in that moment of time in, in March of last year, when there were all these anti-Asian attacks, there really wasn't anything being done by our government and like local leaders. And there's a lot of like empty talk, like as there still is now of like empty promises and really these fake <laughs> laws that they're trying to put in place as virtue signaling. And they really aren't addressing the real community needs that are on the ground that, um, you know, organizers like us really recognize. Um, so really proud to provide this community-based response that's, um, that's mutual aid. And 
we've expanded from just doing the the safety defense devices, which we've we've actually passed out over thirty thousand at this point, um, both in New York City and the San Francisco Bay Area. So yeah, thirty thousand. It's it's pretty crazy, um, and we've done that through our own events and through partnering with other um, local nonprofits to expand our reach and. Um, it's been really special doing this programming and being able to connect with other organizers and other organizations. Um, and being such a small group, we've really been able to pivot when we see certain needs popping up in different communities. Um, our API community is so broad and so diverse. Um, so just to give an example of the the programming that we're doing within the safety device program. Um, on Friday, we're, we're going out to Richmond Hill in Queens, where there's a really amazing Sikh community out there. And unfortunately, there have been around a dozen attacks on Sikh people in, in the Richmond Hill community, really brutal and scary attacks on their community members. So we're really excited and proud to be partnering with the Sikh Coalition to provide safety devices for community members out there. Um, another example of um, this program is after there were, I think, a couple of attacks against queer and trans folks in, in my neighborhood of Bushwick, Brooklyn, um, I went to like <laughs> the area in Bushwick where there are a lot of like queer nightlife and I literally just sat out there at like 3 a.m. and handed out pepper sprays to folks that were leaving the clubs and yeah I feel really proud to be doing this work and like Gorilla we've had a really positive um positive feedback from community members who are so grateful to to feel a little bit more safe. Kenji you, you started to touch on this a little bit more but I'd love to hear from each of you, um, what the responses have been from the community and what the experience is like for people of attending these workshops and, and what you've heard from people who've, who've been through them. You know, responding to something you said, uh, DJ Gorilla Pump, about, um, you know, this image of a trans woman with a gun, a trans woman of color with a gun, and how that sort of, um, you're right in saying that the, the, image of, of guns and self-defense is sort of fetishized on the right and the far right, but it's a very specific type of person. It's a very specific type of body that's allowed to engage in those types of activities. And it's self-defense of your so-called property or self-defense of your family in this paternalistic way, as opposed to self-defense of, of your life and your own body and your own ability to express yourself freely and, and joyfully. So when we look at it from another angle, that's coming from an angle of queer and transness, that's coming from an angle of people who are experienced racialized oppression and gender oppression and class-based oppression as well, and all these other ways, what does it actually look like for people to attend your programs and, and come out on the other side? For us, when we think about safety and protection, um, there's the physical safety, which is the first part, right? That's the most obvious one. Um, but when we're talking about um, queer and trans folks who have been marginalized um, across communities, across generations, um, safety and protection for us is more than just, it's more than just physical protection. 
um, safety for us is like a comprehensive idea. It's a comprehensive model that includes mental health, includes physical health, um, it includes emotional and spiritual health. And for trans feminine people, um, having a cute designer bag that's gender affirming, um, you know, that can go a long way to, to helping someone just feel cute and just feel okay to go throughout the day. Um, and so that's, that's why we wanted to have um, a designer bag as part of our official self-defense kit. Um, and so our programming, we're expanding our programming because right now we offer self-defense kits and we also offer self-defense classes. Um, and we are connected with a lot of the non community-based nonprofits here who have access to like mental health resources and housing referrals for folks who need emergency housing and things like that. Um, but we want to expand um, our event series to include more holistic um, healing approaches and healing arts. Every city and every state is different, and every community's needs are really specific. Um, so when we're talking about stun guns, for, for example, stun guns are completely legal here in Oakland and California. Um, but I wouldn't be able to travel on a plane with one, and I wouldn't, and depending on the, the state or um, city that you're in, they might, it might be considered illegal. Um, so for anyone who's wanting to do any kind of self-defense tool-based organizing or handouts, um, just make sure that you know about the specific laws and regulations for the items that you want in your location. And the way that we actually learned about how the items that we have is we talked to the LA Self-Defense Fund and Thorn Self-Defense in Chicago. And it was talking to both of those groups and learning how they did it um, that kind of gave, gave us a framework for how we can focus our specifically for our community here in Oakland. For us, it's been a very similar uh, response from our community. Definitely some hecklers and um, trolls online, um, for sure. But the positive reactions definitely drown out those few hecklers, for sure. Um, it's felt really special to create these spaces and um, especially facilitating the self-defense classes um, where we we really try to center and make space available for especially sex workers, essential workers, even elderly people as as well as queer and trans folks. Uh, and um, it yeah, it's been a really special program for us to be able to hold this space and I think both of you touched on it previously but um being able to like in a small way like change the narrative of queer and trans people being weak or not being seen as strong um is something that I feel is really important to our work and and in these self-defense classes, we're not just learning, like, techniques of, like, deflecting punches or whatnot. We're also learning how to step into our confidence and use our voice and our confidence to to deter potential attackers. And um, at our last class, it was, it was really, really cool to see um, the folks in the class really harness their their anger and their their power and their queerness. Um, in our classes, we our instructors always ask the group to yell as loud as they can and say stop. And 
they do it 10 times and every time it gets louder and louder and you just feel like the magnetic energy in the room of this group of people who are seen by the outside world as weak and docile and like they're not a threat. But in this class, you really see them building up that strength and that confidence to fight back. And um, so that that piece of the, the classes has been really special to just even see that in their eyes, um, like being able to change a class of 30 every month just feels like so incredible to me to be able to to provide that to our community. One of the participants said that when she left the class, she felt like she had an army of sisters feeling like you're in community with people and feeling like you have that mutual support of, okay, this person has my back and I have their back. I think it's so important and so needed for our communities right now. Um, When I was little, my mom made me take karate classes. And my memory of karate class was very, like, machismo-dominated and aggressive, kind of, like, male machismo kind of energy. Um, and it, for me, as a young queer kid, it was really, really intimidating and not not really fun. Attending the self defense classes um, with through this program, it just really kind of reframed what self-defense is and what it can actually look like, um, especially when we're talking about creating safe spaces for queer and trans people to learn self-defense class. Because traditionally, I feel like, you know, learning self-defense can be an intimidating idea. Um, But the space that we're trying, the space that I've been a part of and what we're trying to, like, do is really more holistic and really grounding. So, like, the the first lesson that I learned in self-defense is, like, the first lesson in self-defense is uh, self-awareness. So it's being aware of your body and your breath and where you are and what's around you. And that's not something combative or aggressive, but it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a kind of meditation. Um, and just having that self-awareness and that openness allows you to, like, be aware of something that might come your way that when you might least expect it. Um, so it, there's things like that that are have just been really cool and really grounding that almost, like, make it feel spiritual in a, in a way to learn about self-defense. Because, um, you know, there's how to evade and how to, like, uh, combat or whatever. Um, But there's, like, a part of it that seems, like, meditational and, like, kind of spiritual in a way um, that I think is really grounding and really powerful for our community to experience. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, a lot of what you're saying to me also reminds me of classic classic social movements at this point that are now in our, in our lineage, in our history, you know, Black Panthers were thrown out there, um, Stonewall, uh, Marsha P. Johnson, like being a, a figure of community care, um, people being referred to as mothers uh, and children because there's the communities that were built from people who um, were experiencing homelessness and, and came together to care for each other then. Also thinking about classic uh, feminist self-defense workshops and a show we did on Revolutions Per Minute a few weeks ago about self-managed abortion, which now is going to be our future again. And if we're thinking about community defense and self-defense, figuring out how to get people the type of reproductive care that they need um, in the post-Roe v. Wade world also is very much part of this conversation. So everything that you two are doing um, even though you are creating your own ways of going about it and 
in community with those around you is also linked to the people that came before us and what people have been doing for generations to do both self-defense and self-care. And as you have both said, those are so really two sides of, of the same coin. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. And we'll be opening up our phone lines later in the show because we want to hear from you. So please get ready for that. And thank you, Amy, Kenji, and DJ Gorilla Pump for that important conversation and everybody fighting for queer liberation um, beyond just the month of June. Today, we are talking about radical queer self-defense and yesterday's primary results. And we are joined live by Aaron Fernando, a DSA electoral organizer from Queens. Aaron, welcome to RPM. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. Um, we'd like to really begin by having um, our guests introduce themselves to our listening audience. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are the social forces in your life that led you to organize uh, for socialism and what kind of organizing you do within DSA? Yeah, uh, I am a uh, DSA member from Queens, uh, Richmond Hill, actually. So I was really happy to hear the uh, former two speakers talk about their work um, in the Sikh community in Queens and Richmond Hill um, with self-defense. I might even try and get down there one day if they're still having those classes. I think it's really good work. Um, and I think just growing up in Richmond Hill and growing up um, in Queens, going to public schools, going to CUNY uh, for college, I think um, that kind of work really radicalized me in a lot of ways, especially with the Bernie Sanders campaign, Tiffany Caban, um, seeing someone from my community running for office, somebody who grew up in Richmond Hill, like Tiffany, um, running for uh, office uh, in, in a borough-wide election really uh, got me involved in DSA. I joined uh, during her campaign, um, and since then I've been working on the uh, organizing committee for our working group, um, working uh, to get socialists elected to office. Um, and I've been happy to be here for the last couple of years, and I'm excited for what we've accomplished so far and what we're going to keep doing um, later this year. Yeah, and I'm really excited for our audience to hear more from you tonight. But first, I just want to remind our listeners that we could not be on the air tonight um, without the support of our listening audience. We are completely funded by the community and our listeners. Um, so if you're able to help keep us on the air, I know it's a tough time for everybody, um, but you can call 212 209 2950 um, or go to towerfundwbai.org. Here on Revolutions Per Minute, we interviewed four out of the five endorsed candidates for assembly this year, including Sarah Hanastressa, who toppled a 13-term incumbent last night, a very shocking and impressive victory. Let's hear a little bit of what Sarah Hanna had to say in February of this year on RPM. We need for our survival right now is monopolized by private corporations. And what we are fighting for right now is survival, which is, you know, it's not ideal. But what we want is not just survival. You know, we want to flourish. We want um, people who, you know, are, are not necessarily born into um, a fortunate uh, situation, which is because of our own systemic flaws. We want everybody to have equal um, opportunity 
for a dignified life, for following their dreams, for reaching their potential, um, for, you know, getting support, getting guidance when they need it. Um, really, we want to nourish people. I think we have the capacity to do that. We just don't have the political will. And so that's why the future is a public good, because right now, really, our future has been sold. You know, our, our future has been sold way ahead of time. Um, and we have to claim it back because we, we don't want to be fighting over crumbs and over scraps um, when we imagine our future. You know, that's why the, the second slogan I have is that the future must be beautiful is is exactly that. You know, we, we don't want, uh, you know, we don't want affordable housing that's not green, that's not a source of pride for somebody who lives there. Uh, we don't want, you know, uh, of renewable energy uh, to be just affordable. We want it to be very accessible and we want it to be shared as a public good. So I think that there has this been this very drastic um, dominance of, you know, privatization of everything. And, and it's, it's actually not normal. You know, we've, we've become so used to it, but it's, it's not uh, how it's not the natural state of things. Let's just put it that way. Um, the natural state of things is cooperation, is solidarity, it's community. That's what nourishes us. That's what creates a culture of trust. And that's what we need for our survival. So I think that we just need to um, weaken the grip of corporations so that we can have restored the balance in, in what is um, ours. That was Sarah Hanna Stressa. Sarah Hanna's race ended up being covered by the New York Times and a lot of other major media outlets, but they started covering her pretty much right before the election. Uh, but you heard her first here on Revolutions Per Minute, and we can only continue to bring you that kind of content um, if we're able to broadcast it. And so that's why we are raising money all month for our tower fund that helps us pay the rent, that helps us get this signal out to everybody who is listening today, allowing you to hear candidates like Sarah Hanna, um, and not just a brief overview that you might read in the media. We got to learn so much about her and why she's organizing and how she's organizing. Um, and we hope to have her back to hear about how she was able to win up um, in the Hudson Valley. So if you appreciate this kind of content, if you appreciate the kind of organizing that DSA does, please go to Tower Fund. .wbai.org or give us a call at 212-209-2950. Again, that number is 212-209-2950 or you can go to towerfund.wbai.org. Please, please help us keep um, programs like Revolutions Per Minute on the air so we can continue being on the ground and bringing you candidates like Sarah Hanna, um, you know, before it takes the big, the big media moment to get them on air. One more time, if you're able to give anything, whether it's just a few dollars, please call 212-209-2950. And you are listening to Revolutions Per Minute, and we are talking tonight um, about the assembly races that happened and how socialism is growing in New York. And we're joined live by Aaron Fernando. Aaron, uh, what are your thoughts overall about the results from last night? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, we're in good company on the show, um, all comrades. So I think uh, it, it's important to be honest and talk about what really happened. Um, and I think one of the great things about DSA is that um, you know, may, other orgs may want to only emphasize the good things that happened. There were they're out there like wins with no flaws, um, and like brush aside the things that didn't work out. But I think the, one of the great things about DSA is that we're willing to look at um things that didn't work out or didn't go as close as we wanted or that didn't um go as far as we wanted and uh, being able to say this is what happened and why how we can do better um i think you know we want to start with the bad news in our races and what happened statewide really um just a huge collapse in turnout across the state um i actually ran the numbers on this and there was a 45 percent uh collapse in turnout across the state for the governor's race and all the races down the ballot um, from 2018 which is just catastrophic um and you know 2018 was was i've already a very uh high turnout year but the fact that it's fallen so much just goes to show that the top of the ticket wasn't interesting interesting people people weren't motivated by the candidates like governor hokel antonio delgado um, they they weren't into that, uh, and they weren't motivated by other candidates to go to the polls and take the time to go and fill out a ballot for them. Um, and you know the reason that these victories happen, the reasons that that Hochul is able to defeat her opposition, you know, getting Tish James to drop out, the reason that and Delgado was able to build this name for himself in two months um, uh, was because they gave in to special interests and big big donors. Uh, Hochul uh, amassed a war chest of real estate uh, f uh, funding from Redney and other uh, big donors. Uh, Delgado got help from huge crypto packs. Um, and, you know, those same forces were spending against our candidates and sending mailers against our DSA candidates, uh, Iapa, Sammy, Vanessa, uh, Sarahana. Uh, they all got these really negative mailers attacking them. Uh, on defund, on um, uh, on uh, decriminalizing sex sex work, um, on all kinds of uh, things that were uh, very uh, very twisted and very used in a way to make people scared and make them fear the candidates that they were supporting and wanted to vote for. Um, and, and in some way, you know, it's hard to tell their impact right now. But we what we can say for sure is that turnout was really low, caught everybody off guard. Um, and very few people ended up showing up to the polls. Um, and uh, right now, our, cl our closest race, uh, our non-incumbent, uh, Sammy, is only down about 200 votes um, in the final count. Um, so he's only 200 votes behind the incumbent. Uh, there are still a lot of absentees to count, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but unfortunately, Iapa and Karan are also behind uh, their opponents right now. However, in the good news, like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, we had all our incumbents were reelected. Um, so we had four incumbents who were running for re-election, Zoran, Farah, Marcella, uh, and Emily. And they were all re-elected uh, by very large margins, uh, including Farah Supran Forest in Brooklyn, who had a very tough race. Uh, the establishment really tried um, to get her out, uh, even though you know they, they said she wasn't doing anything because she was pregnant, uh, very sexist, misogynistic language. Um, but she still beat her opponent two to one, even after all the, the endorsements against her, um, which is really amazing to see and, and great to see that incumbents have built bases in their communities and built bases in their districts. Um, and uh, it was great to see those four win. Um, and even the races where we didn't win or are still figuring out if we've uh, won right now, 
Uh, we've still built a lot of great things out there. Uh, the Quran race in East New York, we got to work with Charles and Inez Barron, who have been black radical socialists for decades at this point, and have been doing this work for much longer than, than many of us. Um, so we got to work with them on that race. Um, IAPA running in lower Manhattan, uh, in, in uh, looking at the final maps, you can actually see that he won several NYCHA complexes um, in uh, lower Manhattan, showing how his appeal uh, worked with working class black and brown people in lower Manhattan. Um, and Sammy, uh, not only did Sammy win all of Bushwick, he also won places like Hope Gardens and other places um, that, that used to be NYCHA developments, but have now been turned and privatized into RAD developments. Um, and he's able to win those places, uh, those very long-term residents, uh, people in the community. Um, and of course, like you mentioned before, uh, our biggest success of the night was electing Sarahana uh, upstate, which is just like a huge success. And I'd love to talk more about that because I'm really excited to see her in the state assembly. Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about Sarah Hanna. And it's, it's interesting, um, you know, talking about low turnout, I was doing some visibility for one of our uh, candidates who have already been in office. And there was definitely a few people at the polls who were like, oh, I'm not voting. I'm, I'm so over this. And I wonder if all those negative ads contribute to that. And obviously, um, the split primary is, is such a disaster as well. Um, but, you know, what we're hearing a lot is from Sarah Hanna's campaign is that people were very motivated by her. And we actually saw some higher turnout um, upstate than we did in New York City. Um, so, yeah, can you talk a little bit about how what this means that, um, you know, for the many now has won its first race um, outside of New York City and we're, we're expanding to upstate? Yeah, just to give folks some context about this district. Uh, I had not uh, really heard of Kingston until last year before Sarah Hanna declared uh, we were, my family was going upstate and we drove through this town called Kingston. Um, and within my first 10 minutes there, looking at murals and the buildings and, and downtown, um, the first thing I saw was a Bernie poster in somebody's window. And uh, I, I kind of got the vibe that this was a place um, uh, where with a lot of, a lot of socialist potential. And it turns out that I was right. Um, because now we have our first socialist elected um, to the state legislature outside of New York City, uh, Sarah Hanna, and, and they really hit the ground running in, in uh, Ulster and Dutchess counties. Um, you know, you have places like Woodstock, uh, Olam, Kingston, uh, New Paltz, a lot of places with a lot of potential for the left, and they really built that base out there, and it was not easy. And they had to start in a lot of places from scratch, but um, Mid Hudson Valley DSA really put uh, everything they could into that race, uh, as well as uh, orgs like For the Many and um, uh, Food and Water Action. A lot of great work up there. Um, and uh, she'll be the third South Asian ever elected to the state assembly, which is fantastic. Um, two of them will now be uh, DSA North elected officials, which is really fantastic to see. Uh, as a South Asian myself, I think it's just great to see um, DSA leading on that and. Uh, electing leftist South Asians to these positions of power, which is just really amazing to see. Um, and this this victory uh, in in this uh, in this place, first of all, the fact that it was it was very high turnout, people were motivated to go vote. It's just so wonderful to see. Um, in doing my research and seeing how turnout created across the state, one of the few exceptions was Ulster County. Ulster County only had a very small drop. I think about eleven or thirteen percent drop in turnout uh, compared, and the rest of the state was like forty five percent. Um, so Ulster County uh, kept the turnout solid, and uh, Sarahana was able to win by uh, four points over the 13-term uh, incumbent, I believe it was. Um, and this is living proof that DSA and socialism 
is not limited to urban areas. It's not limited uh, to a, a single kind of people. It can win upstate. It can win in Kingston. It can win in Woodstock. It can it can win um, in places where you go door to door, you talk to people, you hear their needs, and you build those relationships over time. And that and that's what I think the Sarahana campaign did. And I, I'm I'm so excited to see what they're going to do next. Um, and it makes me feel good about the future of what we're building in New York. Yeah, and one thing that was very cool when we had Sarah on, Sarah Hanna on is, you know, her talking about her journey of organizing with eco-socialists with the public power campaign and then being so frustrated when Kevin Cahill did nothing. So she actually took it into her own hands, you know, with comrades um, and, and unseated him. Um, but you did mention before, you know, that it's really important for us not just to learn from our victories, um, but also our losses. And I, I agree with that 100 um, percent. What do you think we can learn, you know, from the losses that we did did experience yesterday? Yeah, I think one of the first things I think about and this is not just apply to DSA, also applies to other uh, leftist candidates running like the Working Families Party slate. Um, low, I, I used to think that low turnout was... Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, a DSA can have more impact on those races. Um, but what happens when you have low turnout is you're missing out on the people who are most impacted um, by the policies we're talking about. Um, and the people who are going to the polls, um, uh, it, 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 you're not bringing out the people um, who have been left behind. And I, I knocked a door uh, in Sammy's district yesterday, um, and I got somebody who said they never voted before in their entire life but they liked that they were hearing from me and they liked what I was saying about Sammy um, and lowering rents and the fact that he was from Brooklyn uh, and they were ready to go vote right then and there for Sammy because for the first time in their life, because they really believed in him. Um, and those are the kind of people that we want to be bringing to the polls and people who are, who are supporting our candidates because they want to change and they want um, fresh blood, new energy and new ideas um, elected to office. Um, and I think that so one thing that's really important is, is just making sure we were bringing in those people into in, into this movement uh, and we're making sure that we're giving them a reason to go vote and continue voting. Um, right now, there's a lot of discussion in a more federal national context about um, uh, getting something for voting, like, you know, student debt cancellation. And a lot of centrists will say, oh, you want uh, to get something for student for your vote. You, you, you only want to vote for your own personal reasons. But yeah, that's why people vote. People vote um, because they want to see material, material change in their lives. Um, and I, I think there's, there, there's a balance with that, of with you know, the Bernie saying of uh, fight for someone you don't know. Uh, I, think, I think both can be true. And I think it's true that you want to fight for somebody you don't know. But you also, uh, it's understandable why a voter would feel... Uh, really dismayed by uh, not seeing change in their community and change in their lives and material of things being um, being improved. And if we're not improving their material conditions, how can we expect to be asking for their vote for their votes every year? Um, and this is a much broader issue, federal issue, not specifically DSA at all. But I think this is a much broader question of how do we approach elections um, as socialists and how we how do we differentiate ourselves properly from other Democrats who will increasingly say this, say similar things to what we do. And they'll say they're progressive. Oh, I'm just the same as you are. Um, we saw this with the city council races recently where um, we elected a quote unquote progressive city council. People who said they agreed with, with everything DSA does because they're not DSA, but immediately got elected to office. And what is the first thing they do? They defund our public schools while keeping the NYPD budget intact. Um, 
I think we need to really think about how do we differentiate ourselves from, from those people and how do we make it clear to voters what that difference is. Um, I think the other uh, other thing that's important to keep in mind, I think it's just important to remember that um, I'll, 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 I'll try to thought, but uh, <laughs> I, I, th I think there's a lot, a lot to take away from this, a lot, a lot of different thoughts, and I'm still sorting through them right now as, as I'm speaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would love to um, hear from our listeners too, you know, did you vote yesterday? Maybe you didn't, um, and we have about 10 or 15 minutes left of the show, so if you want to call in, it's 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. Yeah, and you mentioned, um, you know, as we're waiting for our audience to call in, um, how, you know, having people motivated means so much. And so there will be another primary election, too, in the same summer, one in August. Um, DSA has endorsed David Alexis um, and Kristen Gonzalez in those two Senate races. Um, how are you feeling about those, you know, especially after the results we saw last night? Yeah, you know, we have two state senators, Julia Salazar and Jabari Braceport, already uh, elected. Uh, Jabari Persport will also be on the ballot uh, with, with a primary challenger, so we're going to be supporting him as well. Uh, while Julius Julius Salazar uh, is, is lucky this round does, does not does not have a challenger, um, but you know we will be supporting Jabari as well. Um, we also have two new candidates running, um, and uh, I am on the Kristen Gonzalez campaign for state senate. Uh, it's a brand new district that's being drawn uh, that goes from Astoria to Greenpoint, Williamsburg. Uh, to Stytown, Murray Hill, um, crosses the waterfront. It's a very progressive district, but it doesn't mean that we could take it for granted. And we want to make sure that we're putting everything we can into that race, uh, making sure we're getting Kristen elected, who is a tech action uh, cadre organizer uh, with DSA for many years now. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing her in office as a fight for her waterfront community. Uh, and David Alexis running in Flatbush, uh, to defeat uh, Kevin Parker, one of the worst state senators uh, in all of Albany, um, and also somebody who blocked the Build Public Renewables Act, a uh, uh, really amazing climate bill uh, from passing for, for several years now. Um, and uh, luckily, the this primary challenge put pressure on him and basically forced his hand to move the bill and make have it pass the state Senate. Um, so the, the challenge has already paid dividends in that way. I'm really proud of the Eco-Socialist Working Group and the work they've done in that race. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from there. Um, our election date, thanks to the shenanigans of our lovely state court system, uh, there, there's a second primary date for Congress and State Senate on August 23rd. Um, we're already hearing that most folks don't even know there's an election happening that day. So we really need a lot of help to get those folks and voters to know that there is an election um, and hopefully get turnout higher than this abysmal low turnout we saw yesterday. Um, so please go to, I believe it's for the turnout.nyc. Let me sure I get that right. Um, but there is a website to go to to sign up for shifts and help us uh, get the people elected. Yes, for the turnout.nyc. Um, feel free to go there and sign up for a shift to help David 
um, and Kristen and Jabari. Yeah. Uh, and if our listeners want to hear more um, from David and Kristen, we have already had them both on RPM this year and definitely did not mean to uh, leave out uh, Jabari and Julia's races because they are also, you know, re-endorsed um, by DSA. Um, and yeah, reminding our callers, our phone lines are open. Um We'd love to hear, you know, what your voting experience was like, and especially if you didn't vote, you know, and you're registered. Why maybe did you not sh- turn out? Um, and so, again, that number is 212-209-2877. Um, and it does look like we have uh, some callers on the line. Um, caller, you are now live on WBAI. What is your question or comment? Yeah, my, my comment is that um, what I've noticed about, um, you know, these talk shows and everything, they're more one-sided, like they already decided a candidate already or, you know, they go more than socialism. I, I don't really hear nothing about the Constitution at all. You know, it's like the Constitution don't exist on this radio. It's like, it, it, it's all about um, voting and nothing about the Constitution because it was um, uh, um the, the writers of the Constitution do not decide on just voters making the decision because um, everybody keeps on calling this country a democracy, but this is not a democracy. And it's so surprising how, just like the decision with um, Roe versus Wade, you know what I'm saying? We have other people that are pro, um, pro-life and other people that's not, and it goes one-sided, saying, oh, they should be ripped off the court and everything. If our Constitution lasts this long, because if you want a law, okay, you need 70, um, um, 75% of the state to agree, okay, and you need two, two-thirds of con- um, Congress, and they have to bring it up for our amendments. So if, if everybody wanted um, that decision, it's automatically could be done that way, but we always talking about voting. That's it. It's, it's, don't talk about the Constitution and how how many ways, okay, that we can um, attack, okay, because that's what the government is. Let's- yeah. Thank you so much for calling. And we do have a few other callers that I want to make sure that we get to. Um, and just a reminder that the Constitution, you know, was written by all white men a very long time ago. But Aaron, quickly, any response to that before we go to our other callers? Um, I mean, I, I think one important thing about about socialism uh, is that I think the core tenet of DSA and what we try to do is that uh, it's about seizing power. It's about seizing and wielding power. And sometimes that means that we don't need to hear both sides. Um, I mean, if folks want to listen to both sides, I encourage them to. But I also think sometimes uh, there's it's, it's oftentimes that's used as language to shield yourself yourselves from accountability and uh just kind of uh stick to the status quo and what dsa does and the work we do it's about seizing power and using it to improve material conditions and sometimes that means uh not not worrying about what the constitution says very very well said um we're going to go to our next caller caller you are now live on wbai what's your comment and question and if you can try to keep it brief uh so we can we're running out of time towards the end of the show now the most constructive thing that genuinely progressive candidates can do 
is separate ourselves clearly from Joseph Biden, who is a catastrophe for what is supposed to be the more left of the two principal parties in the United States. An absolute disaster his entire political life. Easily the most right wing of the more than 20 Democrats who were seeking to carry the flag of Thomas Jefferson and Franklin Roosevelt and John Kennedy uh, and Paul Wellstone, etc. Um, right now, we're dealing with a man who is typically at about 33% approval rating across the country, who found a way about mid-2021 to get himself out of that basement level, and that was, of course, the war that he instigated and is now promulgating and mongering uh, at the doorstep of Russia. $40 billion we just threw that way. You know what $40 billion, $40 million times 1,000 is? That's the excuse for yeah. the hard times we are going through right now. We're supposed to celebrate the fact that the military industrial people have never been happier. There are no well, thank you so much for this opinion. Obviously, you know, we were big Bernie supporters. I just want to very quickly go to um, one more caller. Caller, if you can keep it very, very brief, about 30 seconds, um, and then I'll let Aaron respond, and uh, we'll, we'll wrap up for tonight. Caller, you're live on WBI. Please keep it brief. Can you hear us? You're live. All right, here's one more. All right, we're on to our next caller. Please keep it very, very brief. You're live on yeah, WBI. Yeah, hear about seizing power. Don't worry about the Constitution. You know, I don't think electoral politics work. Congress hasn't functioned. What do you guys think about occupying post offices to establish child care centers and women's health centers in these post offices? How would this be done? Small group leaderless resistance in every post office in this country. What do you think? Aaron, uh, can you respond and also uh, let us know any other ways that folks can get involved? Yeah, I, mean, I might combine those uh, last two real quick. You know, I think there's a real, uh, you know, it's totally understandable that folks are frustrated with Joe Biden and electoral politics in general. Like the fact that he's the face of our country right now and the face of Roe v. Wade being overturned and he wants to now appoint uh, an anti-abortion judge just a slap in the face. And I totally understand why folks uh, don't want to vote, don't want to deal with elections anymore. Um, but the way I, I, I see it is that elections are often the most accessible way uh, for citizens to get involved um, in, in mass actions and, and have a voice in what their communities are represented by and what's going to happen in their communities. Um, and oftentimes this is the most uh, e easy way for folks to, to get involved in the political process. And I, I, I think as socialists, it's, it's your duty, I think our duty, um, to engage in those processes and not leave working class people behind and, and, and engage with them on the turf that we're, we, we're given. Uh, uh, these kind of elections that we have to contest uh, and we have to run in. Um, I think it's important for us to contest them and to run in them uh, to make sure that we're, we're meeting these people where they are, we're meeting voters where they are. Um, and we're starting from the ground up. I think the elections are the very first place to do that, um, have people uh, enter the state, uh, take that power, wield that power, um, and, and move on from there. I think that's the very, very first step of what we can do. Um, and if we can, if we can do that, then I think we can do much, much bigger and much more, more uh, impactful things.
Cool. And I think you mentioned this before, but if people want to get more involved, uh, where should they go? Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. I got lost in my own, <laughs> in my own uh, train of thought. Uh, ForTheTurnout.nyc. That's for the turnout. the word for the turnout.nyc. Um, you can sign up to Canvas for uh, David and Kristen, as well as Jabari in their upcoming primaries on August 23rd. Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for being on tonight. Uh, you've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. And you can find our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com, or on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Lee Zishi. Have a wonderful night, New York City.